Wave your hands to Jesus all over this place and bless him. 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 Father, we acknowledge your presence. We celebrate your presence. We give you glory and we give you praise for your goodness and your loving kindness. We honor your presence in this place tonight. And we celebrate you, Jesus. We bless your name. And we will bless your name forever. Because your loving kindness is better than life. And your mercy is everlasting. So we pledge again this evening that we will bless your name forever. Because you are worthy of our praise. So we bless you. We bless you. And we bless you. And we ask that you accept our praise tonight. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody put your hands together celebrate Jesus tonight. Come on, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Before you take your seat tonight, I believe I have this word for someone here. God wants you to seek him. He said, you used to seek me with your heart. You used to just thirst for my power. Yeah. The person I'm talking about used to cry to God for the anointing. But right now, you, you just live your life. Let me just put it that way. You just live your life. Yeah. You just live your life. It's, a, it's like you've gotten used to him. I don't know how to put it. It's like you've just gotten used to him. You... It's like you don't seek him or seek his power or seek his grace the way you used to. And God said, I want to renew something in you and in your heart. So I want you to start to seek me the way you used to. I don't know who you are, but if that word resonates with you, then you need to know that God wants to bring you into a new phase of your life. There's something about the desire for God, for his presence, for his power, for his grace, when it hooks your heart, you can stay unhanding in his presence. And it comes from the acknowledgement of the fact that without him you can do nothing. Yeah. The person I'm talking about, you know, when you think about yourself, sometimes you feel like a professional Christian or a professional child of God. You know, if you're a professional, you don't have to check anything. Yeah, if they call you that there's a problem, you just, you have your stereotype, you know how to go about it. But if you, if you feel like, you know, which is what drags us to his presence. If you feel like, I don't know anything. I'm just an amateur. I don't know life. I don't know anything. It's a way that that feeling drags you to your knee and drags you to his presence. And it makes a world of difference because a broken and a contrite heart, the Bible says the Lord will not reject. Yeah. It makes a world of difference. Yeah. Between hearing God clearly and hearing him vaguely or not hearing him at all, it makes a world of difference. Between living and walking anyhow and taking decisions anyhow and taking divinely guided decisions, it makes a world of difference. And that's where it comes from. When your heart really pants for him. Like the psalmist says, you know, like the dead pants after the water broke, so pants my heart after you, O oh God. 
Yeah. Glory be to Jesus. So that word is for you. Receive it by grace. Knowing that God will resettle you in his presence. Come wave our hands to Jesus tonight and just thank him for a revival in our midst and thank him for a revival in your life. Thank him for a revival in your own life. Thank you because you no longer walk anyhow. Thank him because God is dragging you in. Beyond the outer court. Even beyond the holy place into the holy of holies. Where his presence abides. That's where he wants to drag you to. Enough of staying. You know just around him. But coming in. Into the main place. Glory be to Jesus. Father we thank you and we bless you. And we bless you. We bless you for the passion that is very kindled in somebody's heart. For your presence. We thank you our father. You can just take your seat quietly. I see that some, some of us have become quite sober. So just... Just take your seat quietly. <laughs> glory be to Jesus. I said, Glory be to Jesus. All right, let's get into the Word of God. Thank you for coming out to be a part of this service tonight. I believe that this service will richly bless you as we step into the Word of God. If you're joining us online, it's also good to have you be a part of this service tonight. I believe that the grace that we're enjoying here will find fulfillment in your life. In the precious name of Jesus. And if it's your first time joining us online, uh, please get to the chat room and just let us know that you're joining us for the first time. We appreciate your presence and God bless you. Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse 25. Psalm 37 and verse 25. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. I love this psalm. I love it so much because it talks about how our relationship with God affects God's provision for us. The correlation between my relationship with God and his ability to take responsibility, his out of responsibility towards his children. I have been young and now I'm old. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed or his descendants begging bread. It's a, it's a strong scripture that talks about, you know, the, the, the how there's a covenant of provision and a covenant of, of abundance with our God. Tonight, uh, um, I'm going to start out by looking into the generosity ladder. And for a full brief of the message on generosity ladder, uh, please get uh, the full package of generous. It's a series that I taught in 2015, generous. Uh, um, you'll get a, a, a more fuller stuff about the generosity ladder. But let's look at it briefly tonight. Um, as we start to tidy up and round off completely, this being the last message in the series, uh, Faithful and Fruitful, on Sunday we're moving into a new teaching series, Breaking on Sunday, The Game Changer. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be talking about the effect of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, how the Holy Spirit helps me to grow, how the Holy Spirit helps me to overcome the things that are holding me down. I want you to look forward to Sunday and look forward to um, a blast in the month of April. But as we round off uh, um, on this teaching series today, uh, I want us to start out by looking at the generosity ladder, how you move from one step to the other, and the things that hinder us from being able to step from one point to the other. Because one decision that you have to make, especially as we round off this series, uh, um, is to decide that you're not going to stay where you used to be. 
that you're not going to stay where you used to be as regards cultivating a heart of generosity, especially being rich towards God. That I'm not going to stay where I used to be. You see, it would be a waste if after all these many weeks of teaching on financial stewardship, you still remain where you are. Nothing is going to happen to God. It's called, his name is Ancient of Days. It doesn't change and, you know, whether you give or you don't give, it doesn't affect him. But it affects you and your speed into destiny. It affects you and how you turn out financially. It affects you and whether or not anything is stored up for you in heaven where it matters. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures here where moth and rot, you know, can corrupt, you know, and uh, where thief can break in and steal, where the stock market can crash or the real estate market can crash or the session can strike or the Nara can depreciate overnight. <laughs> in my little life, I've experienced almost everything that I said. <laughs> yeah, almost everything that I said. Yeah. I have seen investments running into, you know, tens of millions just turning to a change, like 1.5 million <laughs> in stock market, the crash of 2008 uh, into 2009, all sort of stuff. Yeah. I've seen people just literally committing suicide because everything that they thought, you know, their mind was, I mean, fixed on, just disappeared. A brother who is into real estate, a member of this church was sharing with me uh, during the 2007, uh, you know, crash, that <laughs> they used to put a car, car in front of the house to sell the car with the house. Brand new Mercedes-Benz to sell with the house and nobody's buying. As bonus, if you buy, we'll, we'll give you this car with it. I mean, they did it here. In fact, it was more, more prevalent in America during the, uh, you know, subprime loan uh, bust. Yeah. They, they, they would put even two cars in front of a house and nobody's buying. So the prices were coming down so heavily. Yeah. Jesus said, don't, don't put all your hope and all your everything in that. Be rich towards God because you, you can't take the money with you at the point of exit, like I said on Sunday, but you can send it out ahead. Yeah. If you're not around on Sunday, get a message on Sunday. We talked about how to send it ahead. You, can't, you didn't come into this world with anything. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, when you read down, or is it verse 10, when you read down, for we came into this world with nothing, I will not go with anything. So you, you're not going to go with anything. But Jesus said, lay up the treasure. Send it ahead. You understand what I'm saying? Send it ahead. Send it ahead. So you travel light. So you won't miss the rapture. <laughs> because you can't be carrying two bags and be able to fly. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because <laughs> if Jesus comes in your lifetime, you have to be able to, uh, you know, take off. <laughs> and if you're thinking about dollars stored up, you can't fly. Glory be to Jesus. But Jesus said, send it ahead. Send it ahead. So, you need to have that mindset that it's time for me to start to reconfigure where I stand as regards generosity. And that's why I'm bringing in this message to just wrap up everything. So let's, let's look at the generosity ladder. Let's look at the generosity ladder. Um, the way it, it, it works is that you need to first of all find out where you are on the generosity ladder. And as I put it up, I want you to look at it and find and ask yourself, where am I? Where am I currently? So, oh, this is just a typology of where many people can be. It's not cast in stone. But if you look at this, it says, you can be an initial giver. All right? An initial giver is one who is new to giving. Usually suspicious and tend to give amounts that have no personal significance to him. 
Yeah. So you, if you see an initial giver in this service tonight, when it's time for offering, it looks for one change that doesn't need for anything. Maybe 50 bucks, maybe 100 bucks, you know, something like that. If you, I mean, if you're very terrible, you use coins. You know, just, <laughs> it's just, just something that won't move anything. You know, in this part of the world, I don't, I don't, we don't even spend coins again, you know. But you just drop something. It's the kind of money that if you drop in your pocket while you are working, you may not stop to pick it. Yeah, it's just because you just want to fulfill all righteousness. Let me just put it that, like that. Yeah, some people are still at that level. It's, it borders on their lack of trust, lack of understanding, you know, not even knowing why you should give, a bit of ignorance, a bit of pride, a mixture of many things that's grounded them on the first you know, rung of the ladder, so they, they remain there as an initial giver. Uh, they, they may even be saved, uh, and, but it, it has not made any much difference. Uh, on the second level is the consistent giver. Can you go back to the ladder? Yeah, go back to the ladder. We're going to be going in and out of where I am, so you need to help me preach. Yeah, all right. So consistent giver, the consistent giver. So we started from the initial giver to the consistent giver. Now, uh, the consistent giver is one who is starting to make a practice of giving. And usually gives consistently. So, whether in church or outside of church, you know, it just has a heart of giving. Gives, blesses people, and also blesses God in church. Uh, and does it with some, some kind of commitment. And it's not an anyhow giving. It's something that means a little bit to you. So you, 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 you're giving, you know, you, you feel it a bit, just something that means something to you, you know, and it's consistent. Then we go to the intentional giver. What signals intentional giving is your, your ability to give, not just from your heart, but to give intentionally, if I can put it that way. One who, for instance, if you are a tighter, you are an intentional giver. You have decided, I'm going to give a percentage to God. It doesn't matter whether I'm in church or not. It doesn't matter what is going on in my life. An intentional giver is committed to give. And it gives a percentage. So an intentional giver is one who tithes. The person has an understanding of spiritual principles and strives to obey God. An understanding of spiritual principles. When you see an intentional giver, like we taught in church on Sunday, the intentional giver understands the, the multiple streams of blessings. Yeah. The multiple streams of blessings, like we taught on Sunday. An intentional giver understands that. So he knows that he should tithe. He knows that he should bless his parents and and you know, not be like, like what Paul, writing to Timothy, said, the man who does not provide for his own house is worse than an infidel. Not be an infidel is, he knows what to do with family and how to take responsibility for family, how to take responsibility for parents. He knows how to help the poor. Yeah, and it's intentional about it. In fact, some intentional givers dedicate percentages of their income based on a particular budget to the different streams of Blessings that we describe, and they do it consistently. So it may be month every month, it may be every other month, it may be a quarterly thing, but the tithe, the bless the poor, they have a budget to sort people out, 
They're consistent about giving to their parents. They're consistent about helping family members. They're consistent about giving to, you know, the pastors, like we described on Sunday. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 6, letting that is taught in the world, communicate with him that teaches in all good things. They put their own rhythm to it. How often do I want to do it? How do I want to do it? They do it. Yeah. They do it. They, they, they just look at all the different streams. They, 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 they have some system of giving even to charity somehow. Not just money, but even their time or skill or something. Just something always giving. It's intentional. It's already planned. So when you look at the budget of an intentional giver, you realize that some aspects are, no, no, these ones have been planned out. Yeah. They know what they're going to say. And they know what they're going to invest in the different areas that bring blessings. They know the purpose of savings, for instance, that they, they, when, even when they save, it's going into an investment vehicle. So the intentional giver is, is somebody who is a bit organized about his, his or her finances on both sides. Some people are extremely organized in their finances about investments, but only on investments that are at, you know, earthly or earthbound. There's nothing about for such people, it's easy because they're already used to this side. If they gain understanding of the scripture and the Holy Spirit, you know, put revelation knowledge in their heart, it's easy to start to shape up. You know, the people that may be a bit difficult for to become an intentional giver, the people who, even without God, they are <laughs> the way they spend the money. If you give them a hundred thousand naira today, tomorrow if you ask them, they, they can't find it again. Yeah, they finished it, and you tell them to account for. How they spend is a problem. Yeah. They're not intentional about money and material possession. They're not intentional at all. There's no intentionality to it. Money just passes through them. The Bible says <laughs> money is supposed to be a servant to us. It's supposed to, we can send money on errand. They don't send money on errand. <laughs> they, they use less money. You understand? They, they, they make money extremely useless. And money is also using them because when money comes to you and the next thing you are thinking about is, how can we party? That means if the money is not there, you will be calm. All right? So money is actually using you. You are not the one. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. And some people think that they are enjoying life. Yeah. Enjoying life, any kind of entertainment or any kind of spending must be as planned, not because there's a windfall. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you have to plan. You, sh- you can plan to enjoy life. You just will choose how you want to enjoy it. Am I saying the truth? And when the money comes, you channel it towards it. But not that there's no plan before. There's nothing. You just feel like, see money. You know, something just lands in your account. And before you know it, you're already thinking of a trip. Yeah. And you're already thinking of all the different things that you're going to do. And before now, it's not in the plan. Do you know how we know somebody who is mature, especially when it comes to stewardship, is that can you stick to a plan even when there's a windfall? Because if not, you behave like Nigeria. (laughs) When there's excess crude money, you know, we just spend. And then the money finishes and (laughs) and we just look stupid. If I can use that word, allow me. Because all of a sudden, 
<laughs> you know how we landed the recession now? I, I, I don't have to print that to you. Have you seen the oil price from uh, 2007, 2008? No, sorry, from 2009 down to 2012, 2013? Have you seen the oil price? Oil price was as high as 160 at some point. As at now, it's below 50. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. So, if you look at that, if Nigeria were to be a human being, yeah, who was earning 160, let's just imagine 160,000. And all those days of 160,000, there's something they call lao lao. I don't know. Somebody can borrow me a word to use for it. Yeah. It's a slang in this part of the world. It, it, it means frivolous or just, spl- just splodge. Just to splodge. Just spend anyhow. So when we were earning 160, we were spending anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> By the time oil price became like 40 or 42 dollars to a uh, uh, barrel, what happened when we checked our reserve, foreign reserve, there was really nothing there. Yeah. Nothing there, nothing to show for it. Income moved from 160 to 42. You know, it's a normal thing. Even if it's a family, they will struggle. That's why Nigeria is struggling now. It's not rocket science. (laughs) What I'm saying is, as an intentional giver, for you to be at that level, you have to be, first and foremost, an intentional person. <laughs> yeah. You have to be an intentional person. You have to be that kind of person who can decide, this is what I want to do, and this is what I don't want to do. And it has nothing to do with whether I have money or not. All in agreement, say amen. amen. Mm. There's quietness in the house. Because some people are still wondering, Pastor, what kind of thing are you saying? How can somebody have money and be sticking to a plan? I thought the, 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 the presence of the money is a signal that plans must change. <laughs> Am I saying the truth? That's what some people think. That when the money starts to come, it's a signal that you have to rethink. And that, that, I'm saying that that was what brought us to where we are. Because if you have a plan and you're following the plan, when excess shows up, it just tells you that it may not be like this all the time. So let me, yeah. So it's a time to save. It's a time, you know, to, to invest here and there and also invest in what brings the most return, which is the kingdom of God. Because you can't be earning plenty of money and you're not rich towards God and then you get yourself in trouble and you now pray overnight, one night, and expect that <laughs> God is the God of mercy. Yeah, but I'm sure he's going to give you a word that the next time, after I rescue <laughs> if you don't become intentional, yeah. Glory be to Jesus. Very important. I decided to emphasize that a bit so that we understand, you know, this intentionality uh, level. And the, the last, I mean, the second to the last one is the sacrificial giver. Sacrificial giver. Goes over the call of duty, makes pledges or vows to God, is willing to suffer some hardship or discomfort to please God. That's sacrificial giver. 
willing to suffer some level of discomfort, you know, just is when you say something is a sacrifice, that means it's not easy. It's not something that you are doing maybe out of excess or doing because it's the least line of resistance. No. It means you're going to push against a need and still outdo yourself to do something about, you know, that giving. You're pressing. Some people make vows to God. Some people even vow on money that they have not made to say, look, if, if I make this money, 50% is yours. They don't deal with tithe again. They've gone beyond that. Yeah, that's a vow. You see people giving a child to God, like Hannah in the Bible made a vow. If you, if you, if you, give, me, if you give me this child, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this child back to you. And it's going to be in your house forever. And I wasn't pregnant. But she already made a vow. A vow. I'm, I'm just going to... That's, that's it's sacrificial. You, you can imagine you're trusting God for something. And you're saying that when the thing comes, I'm not going to hold on to it. Yeah. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm just going to allow you to have it. I'm just going to allow you to have it. That's sacrificial giving. That was the level Abraham got to. You know, for Abraham, I don't know how to categorize him, whether it's sacrificial or legacy, because it qualifies for both. Yeah, the act was sacrificial. The whole thing that happened was a legacy giving because it brought us all to where we are today. Yeah. Because God tested Abraham and told him to give his son. Because he was already, you know, working on how, I mean, he was already intentional about how he was going to give his own son. Yeah. He just wanted some bit of, you know, reciprocity. Let, 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 him, let me test it on a man too. Abraham did not disappoint God. God did not need Isaac in heaven. Isaac was needed on earth as a son of promise. But God just wanted to see, you know, can a man also just reciprocate what I'm trying to do for the entire human race? That's why Abraham is a father of faith because he, he, his faith moved God to redeem all of us. Yeah. Are you still with me today? So the legacy uh, giver is completely sold out. Considered himself or herself merely a caretaker of resources. It's at a level of complete selflessness. How do you explain Abraham sacrificing Isaac than complete, complete selflessness? Complete. Complete selflessness. There's no other way to explain it than that. It's complete selflessness. Glory be to Jesus. Let's, let's look at that occurrence in the Bible. I'm going to uh, use it too. Just explain one or two things to us. Genesis 22, we we'll read from verse 15 down to 18. Abraham demonstrated this high level of sacrificial giving that also qualifies uh, to be complete selflessness, which is legacy giving. Legacy giving is beyond sacrifice. You understand, when we, we talk about people like Algie Litonil, who was a foremost, you know, multi-billionaire in America back in the day, in the 1800s, and this guy, uh, um, I mean, the, 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 the story has it that by the time he was passing, he was leaving this world, he, he was giving God, is it 90 or 95% of his income? That's legacy giving. And the 5% still, he was still a millionaire on 5%. Still living a good life. That was how rich he was. Yeah. 
That's how, how rich he was. That's legacy giving. It's you can't. It's beyond sacrifice. It's not something that pinches you once in a while. It's, it's complete selflessness. I know God is raising people like that in this church. If you believe it, say a big amen. amen. Genesis 22 and verse 15 down to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you, your descendants, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, for you to understand what is going on here, you need to paint a picture in your mind. When somebody surpasses expectation completely, to move God to the point where God will have to swear over his life. It's my utmost belief that every time you check out yourself and you notice where you are on the generosity ladder and you decide to move a step higher, God swears over your destiny. Even the swearing is in different categories because the one is said here, this is heavy. This is heavy. This is heavy. Very heavy. Said by myself. By myself. He didn't swear by anything. There was nothing else he could find to swear. And the Bible says he sworn. He sworn by, said I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, the blessing I will bless you. God started to swear over his life. You see the, this same account in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6 uh, from verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, if you can put that up for me. Say, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing I bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 15. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Look at verse, verse 16. It says, for men indeed swear by the greater, and the hold for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, in which it is possible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of hope, of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the, 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 the presence, I mean, the, 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 the presence behind the veil. What the scripture was talking about here is that 
as you start to walk with God and climb the generosity ladder, and God starts to swear over your destiny, God will start to give you certain revelation knowledge. He will start to say certain things to you. Those things are the things that really anchor your soul. Those are the things that make you steady on the generosity ladder. Those are the things that help you to defeat worry and anxiety. You know, when you hear a word from God, after you have stepped into a level of obedience, especially in, especially in financial stewardship, there's a way it anchors your soul. You know, this year we've said it's about being steady and steadfast. There's a way it anchors your soul. That whether it is called recession or drought or whatever it is, you're not moved. But there's another way to live. When you remain on a particular level and you have remained on a particular level for so long, even the last revelation you got is fading out on you. Then the wind and the waves will come and blow you a bit and you're freaking out completely. Yeah. For someone, they, just hearing that they want to downsize in your office, you can't sleep again. You see, that cannot happen to a man or a woman who is working with God and being steadfast at it and is not remaining on the same level. God can never hold a man God can never owe a man. You, know, you remember where we started from. I read the scriptures in Psalm, Psalm 37. It said, before I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendant begging bread. God will never owe a man. That's, that's an assurance and a level of confidence that comes with walking with God. That Abraham, when he experienced this, and God just said, I'm just going to bless you anyhow. And because I, find, I can't find anything, there's nothing greater than me. In this world, you swear by, you know, a God or something that is greater. God said, by myself. Can I ask you a question this evening? When was the last time you felt God swore over your destiny? <laughs> you know, because it's important. Because there are a certain level of obedience you walk in. There's a certain level of, you know, obedience you walk in in your financial stewardship. There's a certain level of obedience you walk in in your life, in your calling. There's a certain level of, you know, there's a certain level of temptation you come into as you go around your career path that God is just expecting. This guy, this woman, this man will make me famous here. This person will shine the light of Jesus in this place. When you walk in that level of obedience, God has a way of just swearing over your destiny. Are you still with me today? Yeah? It happens just like Abraham here. You see, there are two things you need to see in Abraham's story. One is that it was premise on obedience. Because you obeyed this, obeyed my voice. That's what God said. The second thing was the, the, the size, the sheer size of sacrifice. So there's a level of obedience that you start to walk in. God will not have a choice but to swear by your destiny. The reason why people stay, you know, on one step in the ladder, maybe initial giver or just, uh, you know, consistent giver, just stay there, just hanging in there. All through this month now, we have talked 
about tithing, percentage giving, all that. As it's entering here, it's coming out there. You understand? Just say, let me just hang here. This, you know, it's okay to be consistent. Just my 1K once in a while is okay. God understands. God cannot swear over your destiny like that. Are you hearing me tonight? Yeah. And the moment you don't get revelation knowledge from God, you cannot hear the voice of God about your life and destiny. What you are toiling with, what you are playing with, is worry and anxiety. Yeah. That's what you are playing with. You just realize that your mind and heart will not be stable. Because you cannot say categorically that God is in this with me. There's no word to hold on to. The Bible says there that that promise, you know, the, 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 the hope, he said, is an anchor for our soul. It is sure and steadfast. You can't be steadfast without that kind of thing. You can imagine, just think through it, how Abraham would have felt after hearing all that from God. He will feel very tall. <laughs> that the God, the creator of the hands of the heart, just spoke to me and told me, in blessing, you are blessed. Abraham will dare anybody. Curse me. Try. Try. If, if, if you can curse, curse. That's what Abraham will say. I mean, I, I understand. Don't worry, don't worry. What I'm saying is, if Abraham is missing you, meeting you, like I'm meeting you right now, you are looking, maybe you are not smiling. He can even challenge you. What's wrong with you? He say, leave me alone. He say, I can't leave you. What is it? I am a blessed man. And I want to bless you. In fact, you know what? I can't, it's not only that I can bless you. Even if you curse me, I can't walk. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And then Abraham becomes an enigma. Because people just look at him and are just like... And the truth is that... You can, you can have your say. The truth is that to prove that point, what then happens? Abraham just continues his life. And then he, people around him just started to see how everything around him started to multiply. Yeah, multiply. And the way God swore over his destiny, nobody could handle his children. You know, there's a level of caring and responsibility you can take in your lifetime. After you have gone, what happens to everything you are leaving behind, including the children? There was another famine in the days of Isaac, different from the days of Abraham. You know what famines do? They wipe out existing wealth. And it's always an opportunity for people to create new wealth after the famine. But you know what distinguishes people who create the new wealth and the ones who, when they are wiped, they are wiped dry and dry. It's a blessing. Because no famine can handle the blessing. Are you still with me today? Yeah. No famine can handle the blessing. The Bible says another famine came in the days of Isaac after Abraham had gone. One thing you will know is the moment they mention farming, if it's not completely wiped out, it will wipe to maybe 20%. Because that's what happens. That's what happens. The richest man in Africa woke up one day, was it last year or two years ago, and he said his wealth has been decimated, maybe about 40%. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I mean, reading Forbes earlier this year, Forbes recategorized uh, you know, all the rich people. Yeah. And some of them, because of currency devaluation in their countries, they drop. Somebody on number 20 before dropped to 25, you know, like that. And it's currency devaluation. So when all these things happen, they just erode 
But you know that <laughs> in this world, generally speaking, it's a zero-sum game, like we put it in game theory. It's a zero, it's, there's no, when something is wiped, it doesn't disappear. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, it goes somewhere. You can't say somebody has lost money. Where did it go? To somebody now. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if it's, it's not like it's wiped away and we can't find it again. No. There's, there's this, this thing, this equilibrium, this balance. It's always going somewhere else. Yeah. If somebody used to have one billion and all of a sudden the person can only boast of ten million. And he says, because this happened, that happened, <laughs> it has gone. That's why the Bible says that uh, wealth can develop wind. I fly away. Just fly. Yeah. On this part, they will say, there's a downturn. On the other side, they say, welcome home. <laughs> glory be to Jesus. I said, glory be to Jesus. God wants to swear over somebody's destiny here. I want to challenge you this evening to take steps on the generosity ladder. Don't allow the teachings of these past few weeks to leave you the same. Make up your mind how you want to navigate on the ladder. As I round off tonight, I need you to understand that the reason why people don't take steps, even after they have heard the word and received revelation knowledge from God, is because of fear and worry and anxiety. Fear, worry, anxiety. In Matthew chapter 6, when you read from verse 25 to, down to 28, Jesus was uh, uh, talking there. Matthew chapter 6, can you put that up for me from verse 25? And he was talking about worry. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the hair. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into bands, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, are you not of more value than they? Which of you, <laughs> this is the one I find interesting, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to a statue? This simply means, and I need somebody to listen, because this, this is actually, for me, a strong one. This simply means, worry can never lead to increase. Never. Worrying cannot bring provision. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to a stature? Whether physical or emotional, or material stature, he said, by worrying, you cannot have anything. Worry stops you from taking the next step in your work with God, especially when it comes to your finances. There is he that scatters and yet increases. There is he that withhold more than is necessary because of worry. Worry is born out of fear of poverty. And in God's kingdom, we don't fear poverty, we fear God. <laughs> Are you still with me today? Yeah. We don't fear poverty, we fear God. 
The moment the fear of poverty is holding you to the point that you cannot climb the next level on the generosity ladder, you have misplaced your trust. And then you, 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 you are now fearing God and not, I mean, fearing poverty and not God. Can you help me tap your neighbor and say, fear God, not poverty? Yeah. When you fear God and not poverty, what happens to you is that you can easily take steps. You can easily obey God. I mean, can you imagine Abraham feared God, not childlessness? Yeah. Because if the fear of childlessness was his issue, he would never in his mind. In fact, when he had the voice of God to say sacrifice, sir, sir what? Isaac what? Is it Isaac Newton or Isaac Abraham? Yeah. If you give me another Isaac, but not this one. Not after waiting for how many years? And all the trouble I had to go through. Yeah. But he feared God, not childlessness. Childlessness. Yeah. He feared, somebody here needs to fear God, not joblessness. Yeah. You need to fear God and not poverty. Because sometimes it's difficult to obey God, to do any form of giving, when the fear of poverty Hooks your heart because the fear of poverty is premised on the moment money leaves my life, I am poorer. Yeah, that's the premise. If anything leaves my account, I have I have diminished. And God said the way to increase is to diminish. <laughs> but the mind of man cannot naturally capture that or understand that. That's why the scripture says there is he that scatters and yet increases. It's a mystery. There's he that we told more than is necessary and it becomes poorer. Why? Because his life is ruled by the fear of poverty. The fear of poverty will bring massive anxiety and worry. Worry. As you leave this place tonight, I want us to pray. I want you to trust God. To deal with worry. You know what? Worry is double jeopardy, especially in an economy that is in recession. Because worry cannot attract increase. Yeah. Worry cannot attract increase, according to the word of God. I just showed you. Worry cannot attract increase. There's nothing, no amount of worry can make God do what. Today, what he has chosen to do tomorrow. To turn the hand of God is not worry that you need. It's prayer that you need. To seek his face. Perhaps by a stroke of mercy, God can choose to do today what he, has, what he proposed to do tomorrow. But not by worrying. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. People become so worrisome they cannot even utter one word of prayer or praise. Yeah. So as you leave this place tonight, I need you to just have it at the back of your mind that it's time to deal with worry completely so that I can move to the next level. So if somebody's listening to me tonight, you have a struggle. Maybe, you know, you're a consistent giver. You're not supposed to become a percentage giver. And, you know, and become an intentional giver. And it's becoming 
you know, problematic. Maybe you are an, uh, you know, an intentional giver. You tithe regularly. But God is telling you it's, ta- it's now time to move to the level where you start to sacrifice. Yeah, where you start to sacrifice. You start to sacrifice and just give and just bless God and bless people. And you can get an instruction from God to give something that is precious to you. Yeah, someone told me today how somebody gave him a car. And I said, yeah. People are now hearing. Because you know how this, we know that this thing is working. Is if in this same church, God can speak to you about somebody. And you will hear clearly and you will obey. Clearly and obey. While I passed at this sacrifice center one day, I can't, I, can't, I can't just forget. Driving out after, I think, after the third service or fourth service, just driving out of the gate. As I was driving out of the church like this, I saw a lady pulling her two sons. And God asked me, if she has a car, will she fare better? I said, yes. He said, give him this one you are driving. I, I just, first of all, banned the devil. But as I was burning the devil, I was driving home and it, it, it wouldn't just leave me. I gave myself till the following morning. Let me just sleep over it. Then the next day, it won't still leave me. So I told my wife about it. This was what? Cut a long story short. Because of that week, I put everything in place, put all the papers of the car in place. I put a call through to our husband, I think on the Friday or so. I said, this is what God has instructed us to do. So on Sunday, after the first service, come and pick up your car. Yeah. Can God speak to you about somebody? About something that is dear to his heart and you will obey him? Because those are the things that create pockets of God. I mean, God's Pocket of opportunity for God to swear over your destiny. Which was why I asked, when was the last time God swore over your destiny? When God swore over Abraham's destiny, it was premised on the extent of the obedience, the size of the obedience. Yeah, that's what it was premised on. Because you obeyed me, you heard my voice. Ah! <laughs> Let's read the scripture in closing. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8. I just want you to go home with that. Jeremiah 17, from verse 5 to 8. Yeah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts a man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Look at verse 6. For it shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. <laughs> But shall inhabit the patch, patched, patched. Something has hooked me here. Patched. <laughs> patched. Dry places in the wilderness. In a salt land which is not inhabited. See that description talks about some extent of poverty and lack. Patched. Not well watered gardens. What happened to well-watered gardens? Said it would dwell in parched places in the wilderness. 
in a salt land which is not inhabited. But look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is not in his money. Whose hope is not in his salary. Whose hope is not in what he has saved up. Whose hope is not in his net worth. But his hope is in the Lord. Verse 8 says, For it shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and will not fear when it eats, 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 or recession, or anything that can suck. Eats can suck. You understand what I'm saying? Can dry up moisture. It will not fear when it comes, but its, its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. So it's not worrying in recession. Not anxious in the year of drought. Nor we cease from yielding fruit. Glory be to Jesus. But he says, cursed is the man was five there who puts Who trust in man or material things and make flesh his strength. Where does your strength lie? Somebody's looking at me right now. Maybe your strength lies in the two million naira in your account. <laughs> what is two million compared to your destiny? Can two million take you to where you are going in life? And as small as that two million naira is, I'm just being hypothetical. If God says uh, that your friend who has not had a job in the last six months, send 50,000 naira to him tonight, you will still be thinking about it and say, maybe it's the devil. What kind of life is that? No, that's what I'm saying. And then you will say your trust is in God. How? You already know that two million naira cannot take you to where you are going in life. It just makes you feel good that your account is not in red. Am I saying the truth? And you look at it, two million, two million, two million. Now God can God cannot speak to you about it again. The Bible says, such a person, you put your trust in man. Look at the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. Cost is those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength. And turn their hearts from the Lord. Yeah. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. <laughs> they will live in barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. That will not be your portion in the name of Jesus. Rise up on your, your feet. Rise up on your feet, somebody. Rise on your feet. Rise on your feet. I'm trusting God tonight that one, the Holy Spirit will break the hold of worry and anxiety over somebody's heart here. And secondly, that God will launch you to the next level on the generosity ladder. That you will not remain on the same spot. That God will swear over your destiny. Lift your two hands to Jesus tonight. And I want to just say what a prayer to God. I don't know what God has put in your heart to pray about, but you know what you need to pray about. You know what you need to pray about. So just, just verbalize it and just say it out to God. Somebody here needs to just say, Lord, help me to renew my hope in you. 
Somebody here needs to say, Lord, I want to move to the next level. I want to become a sacrificial giver. Somebody here needs to say, a name has come to lack of tithing in my life. I want to be a tither. I want to be intentional. I want to be intentional. I want to be intentional. Somebody else may say, Lord, I just want you to speak to me so that you can create an opportunity for me to obey you. Because I know as I obey you, you will swear over my destiny. Somebody will saying, Lord, it's been a while you swore over me. So just give me an instruction. Give me an instruction. And I will obey. So that I can be a word from heaven over my destiny. Somebody open your mouth and speak to God tonight. Open your mouth and speak to God. Open your mouth and speak to God. I perceive in my spirit that somebody listening to me right now. Your issue is not about money. You know that area of disobedience that is stopping God from swearing over your destiny. So it's time to, to speak to God tonight to receive grace and obey and obey. The person I'm talking about, you know I'm talking about you. There's a struggle, there's something that, that, you, 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 that you are refusing to obey God about. It has nothing to do with money. It's something else. And God is saying, this is also an opportunity for you to step into a new level of obedience. Because it's time for me to swear over you again. It's time for me to swear over you again. If you can, I want you to lift your two hands to him as a sign of your surrender. And just, just pray in the spirit if you can. Just pray in the spirit. Just express your heart to God tonight. Just express your heart to God tonight. Just express your heart to God tonight. Let him know that you are ready to move to the next level. 